it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, John Levine will be coming up at the bottom of the hour from the New York Post. So much going on with the Hunter Biden situation as they try to kick that back into gear and as they try to get the documents that they need and hopefully get Eric Sherwin back in. Uh, we'll talk about that. And, of course, hope everyone had a great weekend. If you're in the Northeast, you probably didn't have one if you were outside uh, because it poured the whole time. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I want to fund the government. I'm not pro-shutdown. We should have separate, single-subject spending bills. Kevin McCarthy promised that in January. He is in breach of that promise. So I'm not here to hold the government hostage. I'm here to hold Kevin McCarthy to his word. Well, you are holding the government hostage, Matt Gaetz. Shut down. Republicans are showing what disunity looks like. As five refused to pass the CR after Speaker McCarthy didn't produce 11 appropriations bills in time. And I think they're both wrong. In five days, the government shuts down, which is bad for everybody listening. Don't be surprised if moderates deal with Dems and get something done. Number two. I'll be honest with you. I believe 100 percent he does bear some responsibility uh, for this crisis. I haven't heard from anybody in the administration. Uh, the president hasn't put out the state, a statement. The vice president, I haven't heard from anybody. As Eagle Pass Democratic mayor in Texas, 23 percent. That's the percentage you think Joe Biden is strong on immigration and at the border. Just about every state is feeling the effects of the collapsed border security. We bring you the pain this administration has thrust upon cities, states and illegal immigrants themselves. Number one. And the problem for Democrats, too, the lack of enthusiasm about the election. There's clearly a lack of enthusiasm about the president himself because we asked primary voters on the Democratic side, do you want options next year besides Biden? 59% said yes, they do. Blowout. That's what a new ABC poll says Trump will do to Biden. Should they have an election today? We go inside the numbers. And for the Dems, one conclusion should be reached. Joe has to go. I would think, wouldn't you? So how comical is this? The Washington Post and ABC combined on a poll. I couldn't even find it on the Washington Post a digital editor uh, newspaper on Sunday. And they immediately, while they do the poll, have to qualify and say it's an outlier and then bring up 538, a separate polling company that only has Trump winning by two. Can you believe this? Well, here's what it said. It said Donald Trump gets 52 and Joe Biden 42. That is panic time for Martha Raddatz, who literally cried when Trump won in 2016. She's hosting this time, and she has to relay these numbers. For the GOP on the NBC poll, Republican uh, Donald Trump leads DeSantis 54 to 15. Over Haley's got seven. Pence got six. Scott's got four. On the New Hampshire poll, it's a little bit closer. Trump has got 39. Vivek, 13. Haley, 12. Christie, 11. DeSantis uh, dropping at 10. And Scott at six. So that's a little bit closer. But for the most part, people believe that Donald Trump is securely in front. And when you beat Joe Biden head to head, it kicks out that argument. That, to be honest, after 2022, I thought was real. 
that Joe that Donald Trump can't win in a general election. His team is disciplined. You notice there's no Corey Lewandowski being fired, Paul Manafort being hired, Manafort being hired, Kellyanne Conway coming in. It's been the same team from day one. He's thinking general, and I guess what? Joe Biden, looking to get some traction, is actually running against Trump because he believes that the most animated his supporters get is when they think that Trump could be president. Here is Steve Kornacki breaking down and trying to understand what the polling data says from the NBC portion of this on Meet the Press Cut 1. And the problem for Democrats, too, the lack of enthusiasm about the election, there's clearly a lack of enthusiasm about the president himself because we asked primary voters on the Democratic side, do you want options next year besides Biden? 59% said yes, they do. This is not a normal number for an incumbent. We asked the same question a year before Donald Trump sought re-election of Republicans. Only 37% wanted more choices then. That's a very high number. Right. So job approval for people 18 to 39, give Joe Biden 29 percent approval. Overall, 37 percent. This is unbelievable to me. Think about what he's done over the last few days. He screws up LL Cool J's names. He walks into a flag. He snubs the Lula, the president of Brazil, who he helped get elected and shakes the wrong person's hand and leaves. He thanks the Black Caucus for his support, even though he was in front of the Hispanic Caucus. He told the same story twice, verbatim, in three minutes in front of the same crowd. Believe me, this is not an anomaly, Washington Post, ABC. This is reality. Would you find it hard to believe that anybody would be looking and reading the media, watching the most of the media, and saying that Joe Biden won't win again? The problem is we're making up our own decisions by his policies and by his performance. And that's a fact. So in terms of the actual polling numbers, and you drill down, besides losing to Trump by 10, it actually gets worse. Their Hail Mary is to talk abortion. And that's 62 percent are against the overturning of Roe v. Wade. That's what they'll try to sadly live on. They're actually buying full billboards that say abortion is great, essentially. I mean, whoever thought abortion was great, whether you should be legal or not, is one thing. That's a debate. But say it's for it. And I think Democrats uh, got some problems because I think Republicans have finally figured out how to message it. And that is the way Nikki Haley did at the last debate and focus on the heartbeat. When does the baby feel pain? Tell me if you're pro-abortion, you have a comeback to that? Here's how Nikki Haley handled the third rail of politics today. Cut nine. Can't we all agree that we should ban late-term abortions? Can't we all agree that we should encourage adoptions? Can't we all agree that doctors and nurses who don't believe in abortion shouldn't have to perform them? Can't we all agree that contraception should be available? And can't we all agree that we are not going to put a woman in jail or give her the death penalty if she gets an abortion? Let's treat this like the like a respectful issue that it is and humanize the situation and stop demonizing the situation. So that is a little bit uh, that is a little bit of what happened in the last debate. Nikki Haley really got a lot of support after that last debate. Rose in the polls, not getting close to Trump yet, but rose in the polls. Keep in mind, too, as I mentioned, the approval rating among young people. I mentioned the bumbling. I also should mention the inside story that what gave Trump the 10 point lead question. Would you say you are better off financially than you were before Biden took office? 
15% said yes. This is with a vaccine with a recovering economy. 15%. Do you approve of his economy? No. You're upset the food prices are up 4%. Only 12% approve of his energy and gas uh, policies. And gas is now up to $3.88, the highest in a year. And where do you think it's going from there? 44% say not as well off under Biden. So that's uh, overall, that includes Democrats. The state of the economy, 74% says not good or poor. Now, are you, is Joe Biden too old to get a second term? 74% of Americans said yes. 50% say Trump is too old. That means it's negligible about being too old. Not many people look at Trump and say the problem is he's too old. I don't know anybody that says that unless you just want to make a general statement that is that I want a new generation of leadership. So that's who we're talking about. Also, kind of interesting before we move on, Kamala Harris is getting another job. Her job now is she'll lead a new federal office of gun violence. Great. You know the border is falling apart. You know you want to talk about the foundation things that are happening, the origin of the problem at our border. She does nothing, a couple of Zoom calls, and gets visa to donate to some Central American countries. That is it. That is why these cities are being poisoned with illegal immigrants and overrun. They're taking over schools. They're taking over hotels. They're taking over uh, abandoned churches. They are making it impossible to balance city budgets. And maybe that plays into why Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson, African-American, has now switched parties. He is now a Republican. He says Republicans need to control some of these cities. So lastly, I think it all could be a last push to try to throw Joe overboard, perhaps. Peter Alexander of NBC said this, cut eight. Well, it's not good news for this White House, certainly. They dismiss polls like these, national polls saying nobody votes on a national basis. It's the states that matter. They say we're a year out from the election. But all that acknowledges the fact that this is a big issue, both the president's age and the issue of the economy. You showed the numbers on each of those issues. Nearly three in four Americans have a real concern about age. And it's forced this White House, I think, to lean into two things. One is that contrast with Donald Trump earlier than they may have wanted to, based on the conversations I'm having with Democratic allies right now. We've heard him sort of sharpen his language. It's the end of the spending quarter, so a lot of it's been at fundraisers, yeah. but saying that Donald Trump is trying to destroy democracy. And they've also lifted up their spending, the biggest ad buy ever in battleground states this early for a re-election campaign. They had one of the first ads out of the gates was about the trip to Ukraine the president took. It wasn't about the issue of Ukraine. It was on the topic of stamina that gets right to the topic of his age. Yeah, nice try. One trip to Ukraine because he took a train for a bunch of hours where he could pretty much sleep. Uh, the game plan, as I mentioned, that's NBC, is um, the game plan is to run against Trump. Even though he doesn't have the nomination again, point out all the horrible things you think that he did on the Democratic side. Don't run against anybody. Don't even run against DeSantis. Just run against Trump, and that will help you get money, reportedly. They're also trying to get young people, and there's a major liberal group uh, they're trying to win over. And this they're called Progressive Now, and they gave them $70 million to start make, making Joe look cool again and make it into the le- an echo chamber of support through memes and social media. Good luck with that. I think that ship has sailed. Overall, I think that Trump's in a good spot because he's staying low. Uh, I wish he would debate on Wednesday. He's not. He's going to give a speech in Detroit. Such a good idea that Joe Biden decides I'm going Tuesday to march 
with the strikers, the UAW strikers. That's, I don't think that's ever been done before. So that means Joe supports a four-day work week, that's 32 hours, and a four, basically a 40% pay raise. I'm pretty sure that's not sustainable. Um, by the way, the guy Fain, President Fain of the UAW, big Bernie Sanders supporters, basically a communist socialist. Good job. one 866 I'll take some calls. You want to write me, BrianKillMe.com. So glad you're here. It's Monday. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The bills are being worked on. You just heard Jim Jordan say that they are efforting four bills this week, appropriations bills this week to get through. That would partially fund the government. Uh, The defense bill as well. You wanted the defense bill to move forward. Did you not? Yes, that's why I voted for it, and I voted for the rule to proceed on to it. Well, he's doing the four bills next week. so Because we're mean, making to, him. Because we, we're well, making he's him. he's doing it. So to push now to blow up all of the wins that you all have had now. Which seems- wins? Please enumerate them. So Matt Gates says, I don't want any more spending. Like Andy Biggs, like uh, Rosendale of, of Montana. Uh, there's, and there's two others, just not going to spend it, not going to have a continuing resolution. I think it's a great point that I have no idea why Speaker McCarthy, after pledging to do normal business and do all the 11 pro, appropriation bills and then put them forward and debate them with the Democrats and then see where in the Senate and see where we all land. They didn't do it. I would not have taken off August. At the very least, we have mastered Zoom, right? You can't go ahead and have these meetings in these committees and push them to come up with these bills. Having said all that, in reality, do not shut down the government. You got five days to not shut down the government. October 1st, it shuts down. So don't do it. Matt Gates, instead of doing what Jim Jordan does, instead of doing what Scott Perry does, as conservative as he is from conservative districts, not in danger. He says, well, I'm just not doing it because we spend way too much. I don't like Jim McCarthy. He's bought and sold by the corporate interests. But here is Herm. Herm doesn't believe that I am right. He writes me on BrianKillMe.com. Yeah, keep printing and spending. Pass the CR. Keep giving the government more money. Don't try to balance the budget. We're pouring money into your favorite country's bottomless pit. Uh, that is Ukraine. Yes, Gates is fighting because he wants corrupt dona- uh, He wants corrupt donations. Um, I don't say corrupt donations. I don't know what you're talking about. But I do think uh, Ukraine is not my favorite country. But as far as foreign policy goes, it is in our overwhelming interest to have Ukraine be successful because a Russian win is a China win. A Russian win gets another Baltic nation down within five years, another one after that. And sooner or later, they're going to come for the dominant nations of NATO. And these small Luxembourgs and 
Lithuania, they'll go down and we'll have to fight a war. Right now, we have a chance to totally defang the Russian bear. But I dissect. I digress. I am not saying $33 trillion in debt is okay. What I am saying is you walked away from Simpson Bowles eight years ago. That was a prestigious group put together a series of things to happen to bring our our budget to balance. You can't balance the budget with a four-seat margin in the House without the White House and the Senate. Kevin McCarthy, cut 20. I thought we made some progress. Uh, We had a good conference call working through. As you know, we posted these bills back in July. One of the things I said from the very beginning is no more omnibuses. You know, since July, a few members here have stopped us from bringing these bills up. Every time we try, they keep denying us. You watch, they did it twice this week, stopping us, but now some of them say they will pass it. So we'll have the rule for four of the probes bills. If we pass those this week, that would be five of them, and that's 73% of all the spending in congressional spending of the 12. And then what I'd like to do, if we could, keep government open. Yeah, if we could. I think we should. And moderates will just turn around and they'll com- combine with Democrats in the House, then combine with the Senate, and you'll be bystanders. For those people who want Kevin McCarthy out, who do you want? I mean, who do you want? Who, who do you think would do a better job than him? Who would they name right now that would get those five to budge and have a continuing resolution? Now, if we get to October 31st, there's no appropriations bills. That's an issue. I don't think they should have got to September 20th without appropriations bills. So you have a great point there, Matt Gates. But in the end, respect the people that deliver the majority. In blue states like California and New York, they can't sign off on a lockout. You have cost yourself a you have cost yourself the house. Here more here's more from the Matt Gates sparring session. Cut twenty-two. If Kevin McCarthy was actually serious about pursuing the Bidens, he would have sent Hunter Biden a subpoena by now. That's how you know this is sort of failure theater that you're observing. During the first year of Democrat control of the Congress, they brought in Donald Trump Jr. three times over nothing, over a nothing burger. And so we seem to be fundamentally unserious in our oversight. But what is serious is the fact that we are spending more than $7 trillion a year, bringing in around $5 trillion a year. And uh, I want to fund the government. I'm not pro-shutdown. But the way to fund the government is not the same way we've been doing it since the mid-90s, where it's one up or down vote on the entire government all at once. We should have separate, single-subject spending bills. Kevin McCarthy promised that in January. He is in breach of that promise. So I'm not here to hold the government hostage. I'm here to hold Kevin McCarthy to his word. Right. That's good. And he'll do it by October 31st, I think the cutoff is, or November 1st. That would work. But if you actually don't continue a continue resolution, knowing that in that resolution has more additional border funds, has more money for overall security and defense. So you are getting something. They got to go negotiate it with the Senate, but you are getting something and letting people know where you stand. But if you keep telling the country you can't govern, all you could do is fight with each other. You're not going to keep that job in the majority. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. President Biden, according to one witness testimony, was on the phone 20 times with Hunter Biden's business associates. It's described as pleasantries, but is that appropriate? Well, his associates said they were pleasantries, but I think it's appropriate to be a father to your son. 
And if your son uh, is having a problem, and we all know the history of the problem uh, that Hunter has with addiction, and he is being a father to his son, you don't impeach a man for being a father to his children. Well, nice spin, Congressman James Clyburn, who really gave the nomination to Joe Biden. And because of that, in the pandemic, he won. But now he's struggling, says, don't worry about it. Joe Biden's always been there and people going back to him. He also said Kamala Harris is the future of the party. He's convinced of it. When it's her time, she'll be next. So that's just it. He's just being a father to his son. The problem is nobody believes that. And that is a credit to the the Republicans. Over 60 percent of the country think that uh, the president had something to do with Donald with uh, with Hunter Biden's business dealings. And he flat out lied. When he said he had nothing to do with it, uh, John Levine is on this beat almost on a daily basis. Hey, John, great to see you. I know you had a great story in the New York Post talking about Fetterman and, and the dress code. But just on James Clyburn, does he really expect it to buy? That ship is sailed. This is I've, – I've been saying forever this is what the line is going to be. Joe Biden's son had a drug problem and he loves his son. And anything that might have happened, any phone calls, any, well, maybe they're just a few million here. It was just he just loves his son that much. And how can we fault this man? That is, that's what the Democratic line is going to be. And it's a very good line. It's very easy to understand. And a lot of Americans, you know, know about drug addiction. And it's something where it, it's very, on its surface, very relatable. But it's just not true. And unfortunately, what is true is much more complicated which is that the son was running around using his father as a, as a leverage point for his international businesses, and the father was complicit in that, and now is possibly even compromised by the foreign governments that Hunter was involved with, at least if you believe the confidential FBI right, source. Right, but you need those 20 shell companies, and you need the bank right. records revolving around that. Yeah, it was just 20 shell companies. It. Any loving father would give his son 20 shell companies. Give me a break. So give me a break. And before we talk about, again, why you dress so terribly. Yeah. Uh, your security nearly tackled me this morning. They should have. Uh, Congressman James Comer is leading the investigation. Come 40. It's looking like we're going to be asking for his bank records. I mean, all roads lead to Joe Biden. From day one, this has been an investigation of Joe Biden, not his son. His son is a key central figure because we believe Hunter was the front man for the Biden family influence scheme. We've already proven that this family was influence peddling the media and and the Biden said that wasn't true. I don't think now uh, they're disputing that. They're moving the goalposts saying, well, now you haven't proven. Yeah, maybe they maybe the president's son was selling the illusion of access. But Joe Biden never benefited personally from that. So that's where our investigation is now, because there's overwhelming evidence that would point to the fact that Joe Biden was receiving benefits from his family's influence peddling team. And that's where we continue to investigate. So that's what Comer's up to. So, John, you're also doing almost your own parallel investigation. Miranda Devine, too. So do you think they could be picking up, they could be doing this faster? I mean, look, it has to go faster. And it's not, I think, I think Comer has uncovered a lot of incredible stuff. But this, we got to always remember, this investigation's on a very tight timetable. The Democrats are hoping to slow walk everything, stonewall the probe, and hopefully take back the House in 2024, and they can shut everything down. And and so that's why they're 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 throwing up these roadblocks. They're not complying with with letters to come in or subpoenas. They're just trying to run out the clock. And I don't know how you necessarily get around that. What the legislative procedures need to be, but you've got to get around it. You've got to figure it out. For example. Before the midterm elections, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik said to me, she's like, and we, we, we wrote an article about this. John, if we take back the House, we're going to subpoena Hunter Biden. And you know what? They did take back the House. 
And that subpoena hasn't come yet, and it's been nine months. We don't have forever. We were told that the the, C, the, the CEO of Hunter Biden's investment firm, Rosemont Seneca, his name is Eric Schwerin, we were told he is cooperating with the probe. Great, the investigators. And that was months ago. We haven't heard an update from that. Is he coming in for a deposition? Is he going to testify in public? What records can he provide? It's been months. And we, again, we don't have unlimited time here. So I really am hoping we can get the wheels spinning a little faster. Right. And Eric Sherwin, I heard mixed things because they say he came in for mon- for in May and they did an undocumented meeting. They didn't take any notes down when he came in. So the Republicans don't even count it. The Democrats said, no, yeah, he came in. And said that, you know, I handled numbers and that Joe Biden never benefited from the plan. And Republicans go, what are you talking about but from these uh, show companies? Well, Schwerin is just incredibly important. He's, I think he's actually much, even more important than Devin Archer, who proved very, very fruitful in, in revealing a lot of new information we didn't previously know about the volume of phone calls that Joe Biden had with business Which partners. Which means probably more. Of All course. I can remember is 20 times in 10 years. Right, right, right. And Eric Schwerin – handled Joe Biden's finances. He was handling the tax return. He was in touch with – he was basically like a Biden family office CFO. He knows where all the bodies are buried. He's a much more profound character in the saga than Devin Archer. He, You need to have a Devin Archer-style deposition for him. But, John, you also see – isn't uh, Eric Sherwin the one who said – Hey, uh, Hunter, you got to get some. You got to get some money from your dad to pay this, and you know, we'll put this in such and such account. Yeah. So he was moving everything around. He was the CFO. So of- let, let's talk about what you're doing now with a bad sweatshirt, bad shorts, and you dress. You're not dressed great. I'm dressed for the United States Senate. I'm you ready. Mean- to, I'm ready to pass some laws. I'm ready to filibuster. Senator John Fetterman is dressed <laughs> so terribly uh, that it turns out that he can't get on the Senate floor. He shouts his votes. Apparently. So Senator Schumer said. Okay, we'll change the entire dress code. You no longer, as a senator, have to wear a shirt and tie. Brian. It's nuts. Civilization. I said this earlier today. Civilization is a choice that we make every single day. You get up very early in the morning. I see you on TV, and you've got a suit and tie, and you look great. It's because you respect yourself and you respect the audience. And this really is – I mean this is a TV show. This is a radio show. It's not that serious. Fetterman is a senator. He's in the – allegedly the world's greatest deliberative body every single day – passing laws, representing our nation, the people he represents, but also our image to the entire world. Right. Other countries, so other what did, governments. What did you do? Look at what, this. What did, you do what did I do? I dressed up like Senator Fetterman, and I walked into some really nice restaurants in New York City, and I and I got and I got thrown out, more what, or less. What did you find out? You walked in there, and you had a camera behind you. Camera behind and me. And you would say, I just like a table for one. Yeah, I said, okay, uh, tail for two. I, I didn't want to leave my cameraman outside. And I we pretended to be kind of like tourists or whatever. I said, oh, you know, what is this? Am I in a restaurant? This looks like a nice place to eat. Let me have a table. And I got, you know, I'll say I got an amuse-bouche of stink eye from here, many maitre d's. So here's John. The, the audio is not perfect, but here's John's interaction with maitre d's. And they see him with a hoodie sweatshirt on, uh, long baggy shorts and sneakers. Go. Right, you have space for two. We don't permit shorts. Oh, no. Shorts. See, see. Um, your address code? Yes. Would my sweatshirt be okay? No. No, you don't put it on. Yeah. So nothing I'm wearing is okay? Yeah, because that's why they wear shorts. That's why they wear shorts. If I sat in here, they'd be crazy. So what was happening there? That woman wanted to kill me. Yeah. That's a that's a very swanky spot on the Upper East Side called Daniel. Um, it's a it's a Michelin star place. It's very, very nice. 
if you're ever in town, got to make a reservation. And uh, I just walked in. And I said, look, can I have a seat? She, and she was like, no, absolutely not. Sorry, no. I mean, the restaurant was kind of empty. It was pretty early in the, in the dinnertime, you know, set slot. And uh, they basically said, look, you have to come back when you are, you know, properly dressed here. And it was, it was pretty much consistent throughout a lot of places. We went to – there's another spot called La Bernadine. We went to another place called Jean-Georges and it was the same. <laughs> you know, they, they let me use the bathroom very reluctantly. So so now in the Senate, you can now do anything you want when it comes to dress, because not only you're not talking about a guy that dresses down. You're talking about a guy that dresses like a slob. Right. And that's where you how you're dressed. No he, offense. John. He represents. Well, you know, well, that's he represents you. all of us. And that's the thing is like I love the idea, though. This is a great idea. Why doesn't he come to work in his pajamas? I mean, I'm, I'm waiting for our first nudist senator. It'll Here, happen. Here's him commenting about the new dress code. Um, I've heard about. I've heard that some people are upset about that, and the, the the right have been like losing their mind. You know, they're just like, "Oh my God!" You know, dogs and cats are living together, and you know, like I said, aren't there more important things we should be talking about rather than if if I dress like a slob? It's just a broader erosion of standards. You can draw a direct line to this with like, oh, well, the kids aren't doing so well on the standardized tests anymore. Let's just get rid of those. Have you ever been? Have you been on like an airplane recently? Just like – and I, I yeah. fly in coach. I fly with the people. I don't do pre-check. It's, it's hell. It's, it's a Hobbesian nightmare. It's like, a, it's like being in a John Carpenter movie on some, on some American Airlines flights now. People come in like it's their living room. They're in sweatpants. They're man-spreading everywhere. It's, it's what a mess. What a mess. So that's why uh, when it is a big deal when you, when you upend 200 years of a dress code. Civilization is a choice that we make every day okay. or don't make. Uh, John? But the idea of you dressing like that, going in there with a camera, was that first you were saying to yourself, really, do I want to do this? Oh, yeah. No, look, I look. I will do anything for news. You know, whatever the news calls for, I will do. I, I'm, a, I'm a news patriot. It, it almost looked like an episode of Impractical Joker <laughs> where you dress really bad, dress down, and you go in and see people's reaction. Yeah. No, I mean, it was a lot of you've got to overcome the inhibitions and the awkwardness because you look crazy and they think you're crazy and they talk to you like you're crazy. A lot of people looked at me like, just like, please, sir, just leave. Don't, don't go crazy in here. Cause that was, and that I think it was, the people were on a surface level, very polite to me because when a psycho person comes up to you in New York, the, the proper reaction is to not eye contact, no eye contact. Just, just don't even look because you're going to go crazy. So I think that ex- people were polite to me, but I, I got a very chilly reception everywhere I went. No question. Well, uh, John Levine continues to stay on this. The other thing uh, I look forward to, maybe you pushing the envelope. If you want Comer to pick up the pace, you pick up the phone. You tell him. Look, you know. When do we get Bobolinsky in again? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. And Bobolinsky would be a willing witness. You know, he was very, very keen to speak before the 2020 election. And he also knows a lot of information. Hopefully, he'd be taken more seriously now, given how much has come out yeah. since, you know, we last really heard from him in a big way. That's yeah, a great idea. John, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for now having you can me. Now go dress up. Yeah, now I can put on real clothes. Right. <laughs> this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Back at one, back, back with your phone calls, one 408 7669 Don't move. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. You're a guy that can deal with some pressure. Forget the pressure from Kansas City Chiefs fans. 
Do you realize how much pressure there was on you today from the Swifties to get Travis Kelsey a touchdown with Taylor in the house today? Yeah, I heard that. I heard she was in the house. Uh, did you feel it? Did you feel the pressure, Patrick? I felt a little bit of pressure. Um, and so I knew I had to get it to Trav. And, of course, it's on a route that Travis, he, he, he does his own thing and just makes up a route and I throw it to him. So uh, I think he wanted to get in the end zone just as much as I, all the Swifties wanted him to. So Taylor Swift got an overture in late July from Travis Kelsey, a handsome man, big tight end, very successful, Kansas City Chiefs, world champions. And next thing you know, they're talking. And now they said, why don't you come to a game? I went to your concert. And Taylor Swift in my view, well, overreacted to everything, including she just seemed so happy to be there, which is great. But after a three-yard touchdown pass in a game they already had in hand, I was surprised about the level of celebration, weren't you? I mean, her guy got a touchdown. Wouldn't you want her but to be happy But is her guy? It? We don't know. I mean, the question is, like, are we all getting trolled? Like, are they just messing with all of us by doing this? But I mean, she—he's single. Evidently, he had a long-term girlfriend. Broke up with her. Mm-hmm. So, and she's single. So, like, you're not really trolling us, are you? I mean, are they really like? Is there a spark, or they're just like, this is why not? It's fun. Let's just see what goes on. Like, who knows? But I mean, it's—I it's, think it's a fun thing to observe for everyone, both sports fans, Swifties, people who don't even what care about, about Mrs. Either. Kelsey. I thought you that know, was great. Yeah, and the fact is, the you know, she has another son that's on the Eagles, and they had all that publicity. Uh, for leading up to the Super Bowl and then in the Super Bowl and then after the Super Bowl, they got some commercials together. And now she's standing right, standing right next to Taylor Swift. I do agree, actually. I was um, talking about that yesterday. Like, I feel like Mama Kelsey is the best story there is, right? Like Because of everything you just said. Who would have thought when her two boys were playing football in high school, this would be her life? Absolutely. So uh, a lot of people are actually writing about that. We did it twice as a talking point on, on Fox and Friends this morning. I just watched Hammer do it. On television, we watch uh, Fox Sports cover it and ask that question. You don't do that unless there's some support there. All right, now to the less sexy things but more vital things about what's happening at our border. So we know that last year, uh, last month, we had 240,000 people cross the border. Remember when Title 42 went away? They said, well, the, the numbers went down. Now no one's covering it. Well, the numbers went down. They were still obscenely high. But now the numbers are exceeding what they were last year. Last year at this point, there was 204,000. Now there's 232,000. As I mentioned, only 23% of the people approve of Joe Biden's approach at the border. And then idiotically, in the ultimate definition of short-term thinking, they have given temporary visas to over 400,000 Venezuelans. Now, if you listen to AOC, one of the reasons for this is that we put too many sanctions on Venezuela. Therefore, it gets really bad in Venezuela. That's why they're all coming here. So that's the problem. Cut 14. I think we also need to examine the root of this problem, because if we are constantly engaging in foreign policy that drives people to our southern border. In this specific instance, uh, U.S. sanctions that were originally authored by Marco Rubio began and precipitated, certainly took a large part in the driving of populations to our southern border. Shortly after those sanctions, those broad-based sanctions... You're talking about Venezuela. Yes. Shortly after those broad-based sanctions were enacted, we started seeing uh, dramatic increases in these populations that were coming to our southern border. So... I'm going to let you handle this at home. I know you can answer to the person driving next to you in the car or listening to me in your kitchen. One of the reasons why we put sanctions on them is because the country, which has swept to basically communist socialists, 
now run by a bus driver, a corrupt, evil bus driver called Maduro, has basically isolated the entire country. They have nationalized the oil and gas industry and destroyed it, kicked out U.S. companies in the meantime and took all their profits. They've now spread that doctrine to and reinforced it in places like Nicaragua, Colombia, on down. If you think for a second that they're having legitimate elections and they keep electing socialists, you have not been paying attention. But evidently it's duped tar because we put sanctions on them for what they've working at anti-American interests, bringing Russia and China into our atmosphere and into their hemisphere and into this country and, and infiltrating their country and this region. That's why we sanction them and then back to an alternative government. Henry Cuellar talked about all this. And the thing is, when people come here, they need to know they'll be kicked out. These countries need to know you're losing all your aid. And they need to know that you're going to get some tariffs on you to make things worse. Here's the, con- the Democratic congressman from Texas. Cut 13. We need to have repercussions at the border. What does that mean? you got to deport people and you got to show those images of people being deported. When was the last time we saw people going the other way instead of just seeing people flow in? I'm for that. How easy is that? They said that they kick out 150,000 a month. Can we see some of them? Can we see some of them walking back? Maybe some sound bites of them saying, I just wasted $25,000 to pay a cartel and I've gotten totally duped and I'm heading home. Maybe so many people wouldn't be selling their houses because they know if they get to the border, they get in. It's pretty easy stuff. And it is not both administrations. It's this administration. Henry Cuero said, well, it's a separation of families. I was against that. Yeah, that lasted a few weeks. From the Fox News radio studios in midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. It's a debate week here. I can't wait for Wednesday. It's going to be fantastic. Out of the Reagan Library, Dana Prino and Stuart Varney, among two of the three of the moderators. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Michael Goodwin in a matter of moments and the great Stuart Varney himself at 34 after. At the bottom of the hour, next hour, we're going to hear from Senator Menendez, his indictment. I'm not going to jump to conclusion, but, man, it looks damning. When you have gold bars stuffed in your jackets and pants... I th- and you get it from another country, and you're chairman of foreign relations, I'm pretty sure you better get a very good lawyer. And he's got one, Abby Lowell. He's going to have a presser today. I don't think he's going to quit. He's got nowhere to go. I know one thing for sure. It's not because he's Hispanic. And saying it's because he's Hispanic, I even think Hispanics don't buy that, including AOC, who claims to be as Hispanic. So before we go any further and talk to Michael, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I want to fund the government. I'm not pro-shutdown. We should have separate, single-subject spending bills. Kevin McCarthy promised that in January. He is in breach of that promise. So I'm not here to hold the government hostage. I'm here to hold Kevin McCarthy to his word. Right. Uh, You're holding the government hostage. You can worry about his word after the continuing resolution is done. Republicans are showing what disunity looks like. As six, as five, refused to pass a CR after Speaker McCarthy did not produce 11 appropriations bills. And he is wrong on that. In five days, the government shuts down and all the leverage and momentum that the Republicans had will dissipate. 
Number two. I'll be honest with you. I believe 100% he does bear some responsibility uh, for this crisis. I haven't heard from anybody in the administration. Uh, the president hasn't put out the state, a statement. The vice president, I haven't heard from anybody. Unbelievable, correct? Rolando Salinas from the Eagle pa- from Eagle Pass. He is the Democratic mayor there. 23%. That's the percentage you think Joe Biden is has a strong immigration policy, and they approve of it. Every state is feeling his ineptness or his intentional ineptness. We'll discuss this, where it's heading, and how it has really never been worse. Number one. And the problem for Democrats, too, the lack of enthusiasm about the election, there's clearly a lack of enthusiasm about the president himself because we asked primary voters on the Democratic side, do you want options next year besides Biden? 59% said yes, they do. Blowout. That's what it, the new NBC, ABC, excuse me, and Washington Post polls say Trump would beat Joe Biden nationally by nine points. We go inside those numbers, and it even looks worse when you break it down. The Dems are quickly saying, our poll stinks. No, your poll is fine. And to go to have a disclaimer immediately is comical. It should not surprise Michael Goodwin. Uh, he used to write for the New York Times, knows all about it, now writes for the New York Post. Uh, Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. So I'm, I'm, I know we're going to talk about the shutdown, and you wrote about it, but I have to bring you to this poll. The Washington Post does a poll, and mostly no one can believe when polls come out and Trump is, ne- is even with Joe Biden. How do you think they handle that he wins by nine points right now, head-to-head? They quickly said this could very well be an outlier. Can you imagine tanking your own poll as it comes out? His disapproval rate's at 37%. I don't know if it's an outliner. When asked... Would you are you better off financially than you were before Biden became president? Only 15 percent said yes. Why wouldn't he be losing by nine to Trump? Uh, Brian, you're absolutely right. I think that uh, for me, it's always been who are these people who who think Joe Biden is doing a good job? I mean, I've never met a single person. I'm sure they exist. But when you even find 42, 43 percent approving of his job performance, I have to say, what planet are they living on? What what are their issues that they think he's doing well in? Because on no issues does he hit a majority. Uh, He has never hit majority approval to my knowledge, on virtually any of the top three or four issues. So why would you approve of his job performance if you disapprove of his performance on the key issues? So it has always been a mystery to me that Joe Biden has this staying power at all, that Democrats have not revolted before this. Uh, Maybe this poll, which is an outlier in the sense that it's far different from others, but but the trend is pretty clear that Donald Trump has solidified his support among Republican primary voters largely. He's now a clear majority in pretty much all the polls, nationally anyway, and looks to be the nominee. And so people now see it's Biden versus Trump, most likely, and they don't like the the conditions they're living under. They certainly don't like Donald Trump. But the, the threat to their daily lives, the, the way the country is changing before their eyes, I think is beginning to horrify even more and more Democrats. So right now, 59 percent of Democrats want another person. Trump uh, in 2020, uh, to, when asked, do you want a different person? But Trump, only 36 percent that said that in 2020, and they thought that was high. 74 percent said age and fitness for office is a major concern. 
and now he's down 17 points among black voters, now down, um, now down to 63%. He's lost 18 points from Latino voters in this one poll, now to 43%. And those high school men and women who have high school diplomas, down 17%. For independence, now it's at 26%. Uh, they're down 14 points from where he was in 2020. And 14% when surveyed said they looked seriously at a third-party candidate. This is disastrous. But what's almost funny is the panic ABC had in saying how it's an outlier. They quickly said, well, 538 says it's only Trump by two. And they said this could very well be different in a little while. In a little while. Okay. But you know the last time they did a poll was May? And it was Trump by seven. What are they so afraid of? Well, and of course, the ABC and the Washington Post are both extremely far-left news organizations, and so this must be horrifying to them in-house, and so they, they denounce their own poll. I mean, it's not what they want, so they denounce it. It's not what they prefer in the candidates, so they're opposed to their own poll. It's silly. I think I think all Democrats – look, every – Polls are all going to change. They're constantly changing as we get closer and closer. But even this far out, this is a significant finding This because it does express the trend lines. It doesn't mean that it's exactly right for, for the whole nation today, but it does capture the trend. And the trend is clearly the, the anger at Joe Biden, the sense that he's not capable, that he's not fit, that he shouldn't run for a second term. That has been consistent in a number of polls. So they're trying to run against Trump, even though the nominee, nominee hasn't been picked yet. But listen to how crass this approach is. Cut to. Let there be no question. Donald Trump and his MAGA Republicans are determined to spread anger, hate and division. They seek power at all costs. They're determined to destroy this democracy. I cannot watch that happen, nor can you. Really? I'm, well, look. I mean, they're still living off January 6th, or they think that's what the whole four years of Donald Trump were about. Well, and, and look, that's Joe Biden's only card. He believes that he alone can defeat Donald Trump, and therefore that's the, bang, that's the drum he's going to keep banging for as long as he's in the race, because for him it's a life raft. Donald Trump is a life raft for Joe Biden in Joe Biden's mind. But this poll says that's not true. You're wrong about that, too. So I think it really will shake up the thinking in the Democratic Party. Look, they're running out of time, Brian, to find an alternative to open the process. Uh, Clearly, Gavin Newsom would be ready to go in a heartbeat, uh, and probably others. Uh, RFK Jr. is still out there. Uh, And who knows if they open that door, if Joe Biden says, I'm not running. And, And by the way, I think one of the complicating factors here, of course, is his son, Hunter, The legal issues that Hunter Biden faces, I think Joe Biden wants ultimately to use his power as president to protect his son. And so I think that is he going to pardon Hunter Biden at some point? Uh, I think that has got to be a factor in his thinking about whether he uh, runs or not. So they look like they're going to shut down the government in five days. Unless something miraculous happens, people like Andy Biggs, Matt Rosendale, and Matt Gates, among the three of the five that just aren't going to vote for a continuing resolution. Here's Matt Gates' rationale. He was on with Maria yesterday, cut 21. 
If Kevin McCarthy was actually serious about pursuing the Bidens, he would have sent Hunter Biden a subpoena by now. That's how you know this is sort of failure theater that you're observing. During the first year of Democrat control of the Congress, they brought in Donald Trump Jr. three times over nothing over a nothing burger. And so we seem to be fundamentally unserious in our oversight. But what is serious is the fact that we are spending more than $7 trillion a year, bringing in around $5 trillion a year. And uh, it, I want to fund the government. I'm not pro-shutdown, but the way to fund the government is not the same way we've been doing it since the mid-90s, where it's one up or down vote on the entire government all at once. We should have separate, single-subject spending bills. Kevin McCarthy promised that in January. He is in breach of that promise. So I'm not here to hold the government hostage. I'm here to hold Kevin McCarthy to his word. Would he, would he read between the lines there? I mean, I could uh, poke huge holes in his statements, but what do you think? Well, look, Brian, I think you and I agree that uh, the budget process is broken and that there should be uh, appropriations bills for the major categories, 12 major categories. Um, and that's all great. I mean, I, I would vote for that if I were in Congress, but that's not the situation you have. You have a situation where all but five Republicans are ready to vote for a compromise, which is this continuing resolution that funds the government and you know, ultimately come out in probably one big bill. Um, that's, that's far from ideal. But the alternative is shutdown. And that's the problem with these five. Gates is very articulate, and he's not wrong about some of the things. The problem is he can't count. And when you've only got five uh, you, and, and the others are not going to switch to your side, then the choice is not whether you're right or wrong. The choice really is, are you going to let a shutdown happen? Are you going to force a shutdown by virtue of your refusal to vote with your colleagues? I think that's stupid. I think it, it, you've got to, at some point in, that, in, in Congress, you must surrender to the math. And the math is very clear. Otherwise, in effect, you are nullifying uh, your party's majority. You are nullifying Kevin McCarthy. You may not like him, but he is your speaker for now. And if you think you can just find a new speaker, and, and that won't cause a tumult, and you're running out of time. I mean, he, in my column, I talk about the things we were talking about before, about the Joe Biden performance, how he, you know Democrats don't want him to run, et cetera, et cetera. So the Republicans have a golden opportunity here, not just for the impeachment inquiry, but for policies, but for all kinds of investigations of what's going on at the border. They're doing this instead. They're consuming themselves in, a, I call it a, 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 a circular firing squad, a shootout in a lifeboat. I mean, they're snatching victory from the jaws, uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. I mean, I mean when you up, have Scott Perry and Jim Jordan working with Kevin McCarthy, you know that you have conservative cover. And if it is October 31st, they haven't cut any budget and they're jamming an omnibus down, I get it. But for some reason, they didn't get the appropriations deal done from June until September. I would have brought their asses back in August and say, listen, I know you don't have to be back. I need you here. We got to get this done. And then we got to go and talk about five-time non-discretionary spending. We're going to be able to tackle it, Simpson-Bowles version, because we're $33 trillion in debt, and we're going to be another trillion at the end of the year. But you don't just refuse to do a CR at this point, I didn't think. 
I agree with you. I, I think timing is everything here. Uh, where was where was Gates all over the summer? I, I don't remember him, you know, Not going on television and making this point in in June or July or August. Uh, it's brinkmanship, and he, you know, he loves the camera. He's very articulate for his point of view. But I think it's foolish. I think it's political suicide for the Republicans to do this. Is Kevin McCarthy doing a great job? Uh, I'm not sure. I know it's an impossible job. Who else would do it? Steve Scalise, sadly, has got cancer treatment. I'm not convinced that he wouldn't want it, but he'll be enemy number one, too, in a little while. As That's Anyone right. who takes it is going to make be an enemy. Well, because there is not a, con- a vast conservative majority in the Matt Gates mold. That just that is not the Republican Party we we have now. And so if you want to change that party, you've got to do it election by election. But you cannot shut down the government. The media will turn this into what it rightly is, frankly, Republican failure. It's not that the I mean, the Democrats don't care about the spending. The more spending, the better. They don't care where it goes. Just spend money. That's that's their mantra. Uh, and but just look how Nancy Pelosi was able able to herd even the squad for whatever she and the party wanted. Right. That's the difference. I, the, the, the Democrats have this internal discipline that the Republicans don't have, and therefore the Democrats get more of what they mm-hmm. wanted when they had power than the Republicans have when they get power. They right. just don't know how La- to use it. Last question. Senator Menendez is as a presser today in uh, New Jersey. He's getting pressure. He was told by Fetterman, of all people, to resign, AOC to resign, (laughs) and Governor Murphy to resign. Will he? I don't think so, because as you said earlier, what else does he have to do? Where's he going to go? But also, just in terms of a defense, sometimes people in government are able to use their office as a bargaining chip. Uh, I'll go if you let me go. Uh, that sort of negotiation, that's a rather crude way of putting it. But it, that office is an important office. It could become a bargaining chip. It has been in past cases. I don't know what else he can say today. He can say he's innocent. But as you said, the gold bars, the cash, <laughs> all, the, all of the text messages, the emails between the, the wife about, hey, we just got a new Mercedes. He <laughs> doesn't say, gee, why? How much did you pay for it? You know, what, that I, because it's a gift. It's a bribe. That's what it looks like. Seems and it, I think it's a tough sell. Yeah, but it's, he's got saying, hey, Trump didn't resign. You know, Trump's still in the race. I'm going to stay in the race. He could do that. But Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. Look forward to your next column in the New York Post. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Listen, when we come back, I'll take your calls. one 408 7669 Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Do you think Senator Menendez should resign, given his I don't, I don't have an opinion on that. Why not? Because I think uh, due process uh, is important, and I think he has the right to defend himself. He's innocent until proven guilty. This, The media has to stop acting like everybody is guilty at, uh, before they're even ju- judged at, by a jury. So, no, I, I think everybody is innocent until proven guilty. Well, that is the great George Santos, who actually believes that because he also has a case stacked against him that looks bleaker than bleak. 
And he's saying that Senator Menendez, what's the big deal? Some gold bars in your soup pocket. We all have that. Uh, and we all have money from Egypt. We all have dealing with three businessmen with, with links there. We all marry somebody totally bankrupt. And the next thing you know, she's getting a Mercedes from a donor. Come on. How dare we jump to conclusions? I think that today he doesn't resign, though. He already resigned as chairman until the investigation's done. And I know you should have your day in court, especially for people who are supporting Donald Trump waiting it out with 90 counts and four separate indictments. But Menendez was very critical of Trump, saying, hey, it's obvious that he sold out to Russia. Now what's so obvious? Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And the problem for Democrats, too, the lack of enthusiasm about the election, there's clearly a lack of enthusiasm about the president himself. Because we asked primary voters on the Democratic side, do you want options next year besides Biden? 59% said yes, they do. This is not a normal number for an incumbent. We asked the same question a year before Donald Trump sought re-election of Republicans. Only 37% wanted more choices then. That's a very high number. So that is a huge number. The whole thing is just so disturbing if you're a Democrat. Uh, if I had any ambition, senator, governor, I'd just say, well, I'm running. Uh, I think I'm better. Uh, Joe Biden said he was going to be a, uh, a, a bridge to a new generation. Now he wants to lengthen the bridge. And I would use that as a rationale. And joining me now to discuss this, because he's getting set out in California to uh, co-moderate his big debate on Wednesday night on Fox Business Network, uh, Stuart Varney. Stuart, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Good to be with you. Stuart, what did you, what's your takeaway of Joe Biden's vulnerability, especially in, in light of the Washington Post poll? Well, I thought that Washington Post-ABC poll was uh, ca- catastrophic, frankly, for the president to have Donald Trump 10 points out in front of him in a head-to-head matchup is extraordinary at this stage of the game. Tomorrow, on Wednesday night, in the debate, every single one of the people on the stage will be desperate to break through and attempt in some way to catch up with Trump, who leads the Republican field by, what is it, 45 points or something like that. It's an enormous number. So the debate is catch-up time. It's breakthrough time, which is probably going to give Dana and myself and Ilya a real problem of control. If they're all trying to make their point and pushing forward vigorously to make themselves a moment uh, on the stage, they will be hard to control. And that's our job, but it's a very important job because the audience doesn't want them shouting over each other. They want to hear what they've got to say in a rational fashion. That's our big challenge, Brian. Control. So the NBC does a poll and they looked at the GOP nationally. Trump 54, DeSantis 15 now, Haley 7, Pence Six and Scott four. Uh, also, another uh, another poll that came out at Trump fifty nine, DeSantis sixteen, Haley seven. So that is pretty convincing that Trump has not been touched and did not get hurt by missing the last debate on New Hampshire. It's a lot closer. The last poll: Trump thirty nine, Vivek thirteen, Haley twelve, Christie eleven, DeSantis ten, and Scott six. Having said that, how do you line up? 
the podiums. Will DeSantis be in the middle? Uh, we've not arranged that yet. Who is in the middle? Who's on the side? Don't know at this point. Uh, let's also talk about the president's approval rating in the NBC poll. He's got 41 percent approval rating. Harris has got 31 percent. And this is key, which especially for Fox Business viewers, you have almost all of them. Uh, Biden has 28 percent approval on the economy. So, I mean, to push them on specifically what they'll do and to allow a guy like you to have the follow up could be an opportunity or it could be a chance of, or it could be a vulnerability. Well, of course, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity they must take. And you're right. The economy is a very key issue. Who was it who said it's the economy, stupid? I think that was James um, Corporal Kubel way back when, uh, a long, long time ago. But it's, that is an accurate statement. This is all about the economy. The debate will not be just the economy. There's all kinds of other issues that we're going to include, obviously. But when it comes to the economy, Biden has enormous vulnerability. It's therefore an opportunity for the candidates on the stage, and there are seven at the moment, seven candidates on the stage. It's their moment to break through. But how they demolish Trump's lead is going to be fascinating. How will they even try to demolish that lead? I'm sure that the candidates on the stage <coughs> will be relying heavily on their performance in Iowa, January the 15th, and New Hampshire shortly thereafter. That's their last great hope. And <laughs> I think it's an uphill struggle. I think DeSantis perhaps has the most to lose, and I suspect that Governor Haley has the most to win on the grounds that she broke through last time and came across as a moderate. Maybe that's her position this time around, but that's her best hope, I think. So the, the question is, it's obvious Trump is not only not showing up, he even has a speech planned in Detroit, so there's going to be no mystery there at all. But listen to what Chris Christie said when he was confronted with the polls that has him down big time. Cut seven. I know you all spent a whole lot of money on national polls, um, so I don't I don't mean to go after uh, the polling folks. But <laughs> the fact is that national polls don't matter. We don't have a national primary. If you look at Donald Trump in the latest polls in both Iowa and New Hampshire, the two earliest states, um, he is barely at 40 in Iowa and he is under 40 at 34 and at 38 um, in New Hampshire. Um, that means that between 60 and 65 percent of Republican voters in those two very important early states want an alternative. And in those pla in, in places like New Hampshire, I'm in second place behind Donald Trump. Well, so, you know, this whole race is going to change what people actually vote. Does he have a point? Uh, it, that's his great hope that things will change dramatically in New Hampshire and maybe Iowa. That's... Uh, <laughs> That's his hope. Let's leave it at that, Brian. That's his hope. We'll leave it at that. Uh, Doug Bergram uh, got in there, the governor of North Dakota, uh, I think Friday or Saturday. So that puts seven on the stump. Only thing missing now would be Asa Hutchinson. I imagine he's not going to get underneath the threshold. From what you've done and from the time you've studied this, do you believe if you're not on the stage, you're done? Well, that's obviously not true of Trump, is it? So you can't say that. Um, if you don't break through in a significant way, I think you're done. Yeah, and I guess uh, it's all going to start at night. The one thing to, to also to make clear, when you watch back of the other debate, you can see a lot of interrupting. I know Tim Scott said that night that I saw him in the spin room, he said, I went by the rules, and I feel I paid the price for that because he stopped in a minute. The follow-up was 45 seconds. 
and there was no opening statements. So how do you notice that people like Vivek made a name for himself by breaking the rules and see that Tim Scott kind of hurt himself by not? How do you moderate that? That's a very good question. We've got guardrails in place. We have rules in place. And we have to enforce them. I don't know whether you saw the article in the New York Times today. It was centered on Dana Perino. It was a very nice article because Dana is thoroughly accomplished. And part of her job, of course, and they labeled her a school mom. And then as a second thought, they said, well, Stuart Varney is no shrinking violet either. So the, fa- the, the Times apparently has some faith in my ability to be a disciplinarian. Well, and see how that happens. But it's got to be done with the right tone. If you're going to interrupt, lay down the rules, you can't come across as someone who is angry about not obeying the rules. You've got to come across as someone who is firm, just, and who will be believed. That's our job, a very difficult job, but we're going to do it. So what are, what are the rules this time that you, everyone should do? It might be different from last time. Opening statements this the time, one, closing statements? Not, they're not different. Uh, uh, there's no opening or closing statements. No, none. Uh, the rule is really kind of simple. You've got 60 seconds to answer the question. A bell will ring when that time's up, and we will then enforce that. If the candidate mentions another candidate by name, that other candidate has the right to 30 seconds of rebuttal, and that we will enforce. So interesting. And then you try to see those moments where someone can define themselves Last time, looking back, Vivek Ramaswamy was a gift to Mike Pence and to Nikki Haley and himself, by the way. He, you know, he stood out. He, he wanted to talk about his different views, was very flamboyant and well-spoken. But those views were, were just uh, wide open lanes for Pence and Haley to step up, especially on foreign policy. The, you, I don't know if you kind of looked at it the same way. Yes, I do look at it the same way. And, in fact, uh, this is an opportunity, as you just said, uh, for the other candidates to go after Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, Governor Haley did that very successfully last time around, I believe. Uh, I would expect that to continue. I think Vivek will probably be on playing defense in this instance. And the rest of them will be playing offense with him. Bidenomics. The whole summer was selling Bidenomics. Yet 15 percent of the American people, when asked, are you better off than before Joe Biden? Uh, Are you better off than when Joe Biden took office? Only 15 percent said yes. Does that show you, obviously, Stuart, that this has been a failure and a miscalculation and they should do a recalibration? I'm just trying to think what else they've got going for them. I mean, Bidenomics is indeed a failure. The state of the economy is just not that good. And you shouldn't be going into an election 14, 15 months away with the economy in this shape and trying to proclaim that it is some kind of success. I don't know where else they can go. Name me another successful issue on which the Biden team has operated. The border, immigration, crime, foreign policy. Where's the success? I don't see it. This is what, what he says. We've gotten major pieces of legislation done, the rescue package, the Inflation Reduction Act. We got gun reform. Uh, we, got in, we got infrastructure. Look at all I've done, he says. Well, okay, look at it. <laughs> the, the anti-inflation uh, bill, uh, the IRA, it, in, Inflation Reduction Act, 
That has not been a success because inflation actually is a very key point in this economy. And there's every reason to believe that inflation will tick up from where it is now. Plus, prices generally, consumer prices, are 17% higher now than they were when Biden took office. If that's a success against inflation, it's not a success against inflation. And he cannot claim that. Everybody knows it. When you go to the grocery store, you and I have talked about this before. How many times have we been to the grocery store and had somebody cashing out next to us who is groaning at the price they see? I mean, it's universal. You can't get away with saying we're a success on inflation. You can't do that. I keep asking, where's the success? Which successful issue can Biden campaign on? I don't see it. So lastly, um, we had uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez finally do uh, a Sunday show, Face the Nation. When asked, why are you, uh, why are you uh, pro-union, but yet you bought a non-union Tesla and are very critical, you are very critical of Elon Musk, listen to this answer and tell me if it, if it passes the Stuart Varney test of quality. Uh, cut 23. UAW already makes 33. some electric vehicles. So yes. why wasn't that? Is it a problem with the, the quality? Is it a problem with the style? Is the market just not there? Uh, no, the, our car was purchased uh, during the pandemic when travel mass, before a, a vaccine had come out. So travel between New York and Washington, the safest way that we had determined was an EV. But that was prior to um, some of the new models coming out on the market that had the range available. Uh, but we're actually looking into trading in our car now. So we're looking into it and hopefully we will soon. Stuart, everybody knows you cannot travel to D.C. <laughs> in a combustion engine. During the pandemic. Everybody knows that. Am I right? I mean, yes, of course. That was one of the most laughable answers <laughs> given to a woman who is supposedly a professional politician and who should have been prepared for that. Hats off to the questioner who got her. Uh, that was a miserable response. I'm sorry to say <laughs> that was miserable and hopeless. Right. I don't mean to be extreme, Brian. I'm a, a mild-mannered kind of guy with a smile on my face, but that was ridiculous. Uh, Stuart, I expect to see that question instead of... Uh, Oliver Anthony, you can roll in AOC and say, which one of the contestants wants to take this on? Uh, it's the EV question, the Tesla EV question. Uh, thanks so much, Stuart. Good I make, luck. I, I, I make no comment on what questions we're going to ask, but thanks for having me, Brian. You You're got it. Man. I know a lot of people are suggesting them. Stuart Varney, will we watch Wednesday night? One of the, one of the moderators. Congratulations. Uh, meanwhile, when we come back, I see you up there, one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I am thinking about it. I haven't ruled it out. I think it's a steep slope. You know that. I think there are people who are more proximate, better prepared to campaign with national organization, national name recognition, which I do not possess. But I do feel strongly and I have a conviction that uh, it's important for democracy to have choices, uh, to have competition, particularly in light of what I'm reading, the polling, the data, and what I'm sensing in my own intuition. And I'm concerned. I'm concerned that there is no alternative. I'm concerned 
warned that something could happen between now and next November that would make the Democratic Convention in Chicago an unmitigated disaster. And for a party that is acting as the adults in the room, I'm concerned that we are not as it relates to our electoral strategy. So I'm considering it. I do still think there's some time for somebody to enter. I'm still encouraging others who I think are better prepared right now to run a great campaign. But I have thought about it. And I recognize there'd be laughter, there'd be distaste, there would be disgust amongst many. But I also have that sense uh, that the country is begging for alternatives. Uh, that is a, a congressman I never heard of until recently because he came out and spoke about we need an alternative to Joe Biden, Co- the Democratic Congressman Dean Phillips of Minnesota. And he was on Steve Schmidt's podcast and he said, I'm thinking about running. Uh, and by the way, since about 69 percent of the country think there should be other alternatives, including many Democrats, I don't really think there's any downside to trying it. Maybe it's going to be harder to him and RFK Jr. If there's any other legitimate candidate, Bernie Sanders and others, the president will have to debate, I think. Meanwhile, quick announcement before I get to the phones. Uh, with the president, the president Freedom Friday, with uh, Teddy and Booker T coming out in November 7th, I'm going to be doing live shows in conjunction with it, talk about what got America great, our past history, and also take all your questions about Fox, what's happened to the news, the election. I'm going to be at a big event of uh, Ponte Vedra Concert Hall. So just go to uh, Ticketmaster to get that. But on the Thursday, November 9th, I'll be in Red Bank, New Jersey. It's not the biggest facility, so it's selling out quick. So make sure you go get tickets at the Vogel, BrianKillMe.com. You just go through that way. Uh, then the uh, Brentwood, I'll be in the excuse me, I'll be in the Hunts, uh, Huntsville, Alabama, on November 18th, the Mark Smith Center. And then I'll be in Montgomery, Alabama again the next day on Sunday, November 19th, at Montgomery Pack in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, December 15th at Carnegie uh, Homestead uh, Music Hall. And then I'll be on the next day, Holland, Michigan, which is also selling out quick in Holland Civic Center Place. That'll be on Saturday night, Skokie, Illinois, on January 20th, and another great event in Joliet, Illinois, on the 21st. Just go to BrianKillMe.com. It's all there. It's a great night. Get tickets. Everybody who goes to the goes to the concert, goes to the event, gets a Teddy and Booker T ticket. Uh, Tom, you're listening in South Bend, Indiana. Hey, Tom. Hey, Brian, how are you? Great Good. show today. Um, l- love listening to your shows, but I'm still upset about Friday's call, so I don't want to take your show off, but I do want to talk about a point on Friday because when you had the Admiral on, you know, um, I'm sure he's a brilliant military mind, but, Brian, there is no way I would let a guy like that ever run one of my companies, and here's why. You know, he's got this uh, almost like a cavalier attitude of spending. We're at 128% of GDP, Brian. What's the cutoff number? At what point do we say we can't spend any more money? And that's the question I have for you. Spending is absolutely important. The Simpson and Bowles restructuring of non-discretionary spending is, uh, is, is where we should be at this. But if you look at our enemies in the world, at 5% max of our defense budget, we're watching the Ukrainians take out one of our enemies that was the extreme aggressor. This could send a message for the next generation and for forever send Russians back into their cave-like economic principles and stop an enemy from taking over Eastern Europe and eventually Western Europe. Every time there's an aggression in Europe and we ignore it, we end up in a war. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. I'm 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. 
Uh, we have a big hour coming your way. We'll be able to uh, take your calls, get your emails, but also we're going to be covering the live event Senator Menendez in somewhat sensational and disturbing indictment that read, once again, this guy is embroiled in a federal investigation. He got out of the first one because of a hung jury and reportedly a great attorney in Abby Lowell. He's got him again, and I think he's going to betray, say he's going to fight on, even though you got AOC, you have the Governor Murphy, you have Senator Fetterman, of all people, saying he should resign. John Cooper coming up in 15 minutes, author of the upcoming book, uh, Wimpy Week and Woke, How Truth Can Save America from a Utopian Destruction. So he'll be on with us. Good. So that'll be great. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I want to fund the government. I'm not pro-shutdown. We should have separate, single-subject spending bills. Kevin McCarthy promised that in January. He is in breach of that promise. So I'm not here to hold the government hostage. I'm here to hold Kevin McCarthy to his word. Okay, that'll be great, Matt Gates. Thanks. Shutdown. Republicans showing their disunity. It looks as though the five refuse to pass a continuing resolution to work on those appropriation bills that Matt Gates refers to. Hey, Speaker McCarthy, you didn't produce those appropriations bills. That's on you. But in five days, the government shuts down. It'll be on all Republicans. Number two. I'll be honest with you. I believe 100 percent he does bear some responsibility uh, for this crisis. I haven't heard from anybody in the administration. Uh, the president hasn't put out the state, a statement. The vice president, I haven't heard from anybody. Um, that is Mayor Rolando Salinas, a Democratic mayor of Eagle Pass, overrun with illegal aliens. 23 percent. That's the percentage of American people who actually like President Biden's immigration policies. That means almost everyone hates it like you and I do. And yet he does not wake up. He's also got problems with a Democratic mayor in uh, other places in Texas. And we know a Democratic mayor in New York. Number one. And the problem for Democrats, too, the lack of enthusiasm about the election there's clearly a lack of enthusiasm about the president himself because we asked primary voters on the Democratic side, do you want options next year besides Biden? 59% said yes, they do. Is this unbelievable? What are you even surprised at, Steve Kornacki of NBC? Blowout. That's what a new ABC poll says Trump would do to Biden right now if the election was today. We go inside the numbers and why the Washington Post and ABC is now discounting their own survey, their own polling data. Joe's got to go. But if you drill, drill down to the numbers and what, the, and what they say, policy by policy, nobody likes what Joe, what Joe Biden's doing. Think about this. On the economy, only 15% of the American people say that they are better off than they were before he took the job. That's why the numbers are so down. On job approval for young people, 18 to 39, he toasted Trump here. Only 29% approve of his job. Uh, the percentage they approve of the economy, 12% approve of his energy and gas prices. Now at $3.89. Do you know in California, people were saying that six to over $6. Do you believe this? 37% approve of his overall performance. 44% say uh, 44% say they'd like somebody else. If on the Democratic side, the state of the economy, 74% said it's not, it's not good or it's poor. Wow. Not good or it's poor. Now, when asked this question, 
Is Joe Biden too old? 74% said yes. This is of the American people. 50% say Trump's too old. That just kind of nullifies that for Trump. I don't think there's a problem. I think people don't look at if Donald Trump has a problem, it's not because he's old. That's it. And and people don't have a problem with Chuck Grassley. They don't have a problem with Mick Jagger. It depends on who you are and how you took care of yourself your whole life. And if you're lucky enough with genetics. Genetics have not been good to Joe Biden. We see it every day. Uh, age and fitness, the Trump uh, criminal justice trials. Listen to this. So Biden's age and fitness bar, uh, bothers 74% of the electorate. Do you know for Trump, the criminal trials, the civil trials, only 62% are bothered by that. Biden, what about your awareness of Biden's and Hunter Hunter Biden's business dealings? 60% say they are bothered by it. Wow. So they do this poll and it shows Trump wins by 10 over Biden. And they immediately say, look, on the 538 poll, Trump only wins by two. And this seems to be an outlier. And then Nate Cohen writes this. ABC poll in May had Trump winning by seven. Why is this an outlier? So this is what the Post wrote up. The sizable margin of Trump's lead in the survey is significantly at odds with other public polls that show the general election contest a virtual dead heat, like NBC, by the way. The difference between this poll and others, as well as the unusual makeup of Trump's and Biden's conditions, is the survey suggests it's probably an outlier. Really? Okay. As opposed to being ahead of the game, you're telling me that don't pay attention to my polls because they're so bad, they better not be right. Martha Raddatz will almost be ready to cry again. But Alex Burns weighed in, a Politico. He was on He was on this week with George Stephanopoulos, and it never has George Stephanopoulos on. Cut five. This poll is the result of what they see, right? That when you, when you have an unfixable issue like that, right? You cannot make the president younger. You can change his appearance on the margins, but not by a lot. What do you do with that? And what the White House is essentially doing is asking Democrats to just factor that in as a massive risk for 2024 and saying we'll deal with the rest of this, that we we're confident that we can take on Donald Trump. And maybe they're right to be relatively confident that they can take on Donald Trump. They hired this progressive firm to try to get his numbers up with young people online. And then now they're taking on Trump directly. They feel as though, listen, he's winning. Let's just assume he wins. He's the one who gets people all upset on the Democratic side. He's the one who will remind everyone if we don't elect Joe Biden, that's what we'll get. So let's start running against Trump. So look for that in the next coming weeks. Here's more from Alex Burns, Cut 6. When you have a summer of Bidenomics messaging and the result at the end of that is the numbers that you see in this poll, that should be pretty alarming for Democrats. And and just to Sarah's point about the Democratic bench, it's true that the party doesn't have a sort of sort of deep bench of people tested at the national level. There are a lot of governors, a lot of senators of one tough races. And if the value proposition is an incumbent president with the numbers in that poll, with the American people saying so consistently they don't want him to run for reelection versus a promising but relatively untested character like a Gretchen Whitmer or a, a Raphael Warnock. I don't think it's so obvious that the safe bet is to stick with the guy you've got. Raphael Warnock is not a dynamic candidate. I don't know how he won twice, but he is not a presidential. He's not a presidential timber. Uh, governor Whitmer, I thought was a bad governor. I was talking to Mike Rogers today, who's running for the Senate seat that Debbie Stabenow has given up. And he was saying to me the main reason was abortion. That was it. And that... Uh, Tudor Dixon ran strictly toward, you know, zero weeks. So that was the issue. But no one's really happy with Governor Whitmer there. 
and there's a lot of people, so many people leaving Michigan that perhaps this is a different Michigan, but might be going back to a Michigan that was indeed a purple state. Well, know that Mike Rogers could in easily be the key factor, the linchpin to flipping that, uh, flipping the entire Senate. If he does win, you know he's going into the majority. I would say that's virtually for certain, as Jim Justice is certain to win. I think in West Virginia, barring any type of physical issue. And I think there's other people with real shots in Montana, for example, Shiv, for example, Sheehy uh, taking out John Tester. Matt Rosendale already tried and failed. Nothing's really has changed for the GOP in the debate this week. Uh, Donald Trump, so far, the national poll, 54, DeSantis 15 and dropping Haley 7, Pence 6. In New Hampshire, Trump up 39, Vivek's got 13, Haley's got 12 and Christie's got 11. Now, the other poll, and I texted Governor Chris Sununu about this, was Trump loses in New Hampshire by 11. And I wrote to Governor Sununu, this can't be right. I said, Joe Biden got crushed in his own Democratic primary, left before the results were done. Now they say we don't want New Hampshire to be the first primary. Aren't these people in New Hampshire insulted by this? He said, no, not really. And the poll was pretty good. And people in New Hampshire aren't insulted. They just want to fight to have it. They're very independent minded. And the abortion thing is big, even in New Hampshire, because not so much they're pro-abortion. They're pro-freedom to make their own decision. So that was interesting. That was an idea. So you can win a national poll and lose a national poll. But when it comes to the individual games, Iowa and everything else, uh, New Hampshire, South Carolina and Nevada, uh, that those are the those are the games you got to win. So when we come back, uh, we move on and we talk to a great uh, a great guest that takes on woke. John Cooper, his upcoming book, Wimpy Week and Woke, How Truth Can Save America from Utopian Destruction is out in a month. But you can pre-order now. Don't move. LLJ Cool J. Uh, by the way, that boy's got, that man's got biceps bigger than my thighs. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. John Cooper with us now. Uh, John's got a brand new book. It's coming out in a couple of months now, but it's all set to go. You can order it. Uh, you can pre-order it. It's going to be out November 14th. Uh, Wimpy Week and Woke, How Truth Can Save America from Utopian Destruction. Uh, this is John's uh, second book. And uh, John joins us now. John, welcome back. Hey, Brian, how you doing, man? Good, good. What made you write this? Dude, i tell you what. Well, first of all, thanks for having me back on your show. I appreciate it. It's a real honor to be back with you and to be announcing my book on your show. So good to be with you. Well, the book's called Wimpy, Weak, and Woke. And uh, if, if listeners are anything like me, and I suspect they are, uh, they got kids, maybe they have grandkids. My kids are both college age, just so people know where I'm at. Not a day goes by. I'm telling you, I know everybody feels this way. Not a day goes by where you don't get a call from a friend or a text or something. People saying, what in the world is going on in this country? We're losing our country. What are my kids learning at school? Everything is sort of like the upside down right now, you know? So the things that my friends ask me about, they're like, dude, how come drag queens are at my kids' school reading books? And just think about the fact that school prayer is illegal. Drag is mandatory. Or a friend, one of my friends is... They're trying to make him sign one of these DEI statements at his job, and 
He's going to lose his job if he doesn't sign this statement saying, I believe trans women are women and trans men are men. And he's calling me saying, what's going on with this? Kids obviously taught gender theory at age four, sex education um, by fourth grade. It's absolutely insane the things that they're learning. I was just watching this week about the the Catholics and the pro-lifers that are being harassed and targeted by government institutions. All the big tech stuff has been in league with um, the, the leftists and all this. So I think the reason I wanted to write this is all this comes down to this isn't politics as usual. This is specifically for the destruction and revolution uh, against America to create a brand new moral order of utopia. Obviously, that utopia demands a full-throated rejection of American values. And I just I just couldn't stand it. So I wanted to write this book to explain to people this is not just the right and the left arguing. This isn't like 20 years ago, people arguing about tax codes, you know, and, and they want more taxes or immigration or something. We are talking about the destruction of a country that we love and a country that has produced the most prosperity and liberty that the, that the world has ever right. seen. And of so course, this is, and you, John Cooper, you got a full-time job, lead vocalist, bassist, songwriter, producer for, for Skillet, one of the best-selling rock bands of all time. Uh, you won Grammys. You've, you're going 100 miles an hour. You don't need to do this. Uh, what was it? Was it? What prompted you to say I'm taking action? Because with this action, I believe most people agree with you. Obviously, I agree with you. But you are potentially alienating a portion of your audience. Does that bother you? Yes. Well, it's not fun. But here's the thing: on on the left, you have this. You have the politicians, you have the philosophers, you have the celebrities, and, and they can say anything that they want to say, and they get, you know, they get accolades for it, right? But there's nobody in the cele- – I should say nobody. There's very few people in the celebrity world on the right uh, with conservative values with who still believes in, in America and Judeo-Christian ethics and stuff being willing to put their neck on the line and say, no, this is a country I love, and you are destroying it. And I just felt like I've got a platform – I've got to do it, and I, and I know it may cost me something, and it has costed me some things, but you know what? Truth is worth it. This country is worth it, and it's not like I'm dying. You know, It's not like I'm, I'm not on the fields in, in, in Vietnam or something here. I've got a really wonderful life and a great country, and I yeah. want to give back. And one of the things I feel passionate about, because I am a Christian, the Christian church has just done the absolute worst job. Uh, and I, I cannot believe how silent the church has become. It used to be the fact on abortion, that on everything. I mean, the church, churches in America used to used to be pro-American values because they understood that American values were rooted in Judeo-Christian ethics. And then the church just got silent on nearly everything. And I just want to also help wake those Christians up and say, hey, we we have a job to do, and if you really want to love your neighbor, you have to speak out about this insanity, gender theory at schools and drag at schools and abortion and uh, socialism and Marxism, and these things have to be written about. So I wrote it in my book, Wimpy, Weak, and Woke. You can pre-order it today. It comes out at noon on pre-order on my website, johnlcooper.com. So Oliver Anthony comes out with that song just about working class Americans. And he was a guy that was um, trouble making ends meet, living in a trailer, addiction issues, and then rallies all the way back, comes all the way back and becomes this overnight sensation. Do you think that's part of the pushback that, that shows the disconnect that a lot of people have to with real Americans? 
I do. I mean, what a great song. And, and, and what I liked about Oliver Anthony's song is that when I heard it, I thought this isn't a right wing. It got called like a right wing song. I didn't even think it was a right wing song. I thought it was a pro America song. It was like a, Hey, our politicians, the uniparty, the deep state, whatever you want to call it, they are not looking out for us. They are not looking out for Americans first and these American values that we were raised with. And, and we just feel like they're punishing us. And I think what you see right now, and I see it, and in fact, we're doing a tour right now. We're, we're going around. We're playing Air Force bases right now, getting to meet people who are serving and their families and these amazing people that put their lives on the line so all of us can keep playing rock and roll music and doing radio shows and live our lives and raise our kids. But I keep meeting people over and over that are saying, man, do you think we can kind of go back to where things were just uh, like 10 years ago? I know, can John, we rewind the clock, you know? This makes it both your worlds. Music again. Marin Morris says, yeah, you know what? I'm out of country music. I don't like all these anthems. It doesn't matter how good the song is. Now it's all about taking stances and I guess referring to Jason Aldean and others. Your reaction? Oh, that's ridiculous. I mean, what do you think that uh, what do you think that Johnny Cash was doing? I, I mean, this is the thing. Well, not just country music, rock music. Let's just talk about music in general. What is about singing something that you believe? And there's a lot of us that didn't want to necessarily take political stances. I didn't want to put my career on the line for something. I want to sing about something I believe. But when you're in a moment when you feel like what you believe is being attacked and thrown away and burned to the ground, you're going to write a song about something you love. That's why I wrote this book, Wimpy, Weak, gotcha. and Woke. We have to go back to, to the things that built this country. John Cooper of Skillet, thanks so much, John. Continued success in everything you pursue. And I look forward to having you thanks. on when the book comes out November 14th. Thank you, Brian. Great to chat with you, Brian. You got it. Uh, your call's next. Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Everything I've accomplished, I've worked for, despite the naysayers and everyone who has underestimated me. I recognize uh, this will be the biggest fight uh, yet, but as I have stated throughout this whole process, I firmly believe that when all the facts are presented, not only will I be exonerated, but I still will be the New Jersey's senior senator. The court of public opinion is no substitute for our revered justice system. We cannot set aside the presumption of innocence for political expediency when the harm is irrevocable. To those who have rushed to judgment, you have done so based on a limited set of facts framed by the prosecution to be as salacious as possible. Remember, prosecutors get it wrong sometimes. Sadly, I know that. You know that because of a hung jury uh, last time. And once again, you're knee-deep in corruption allegations again. Senator Menendez, still going on. These are his few more minutes to wrap things up and talk about what a great public servant he's been and only does this for the people of New Jersey. And uh, he's got – got to read this indictment. It's an indictment, one side of it. So you can't just say that Trump's innocent and Menendez is guilty. But um, he's – some ridiculous explanations – Number one is original explanation. People resent because I'm an Hispanic American. I'm targeted. Cuban American, really? Cubans come here. They're the most grateful uh, ethnic group, I think, in the history of this country. They're so grateful to get out of that hellhole that's ruined by communism. Uh, since when do people resent you because you're Cuban? 
Is that why you keep getting reelected from Congress and now in, from state to Congress to now senator? And you won again despite the fact because it was two and a half years between your last indictment and this one. And now he says, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to fight. But he's no longer chairman of foreign relations. I think it makes the, the Democrats look terrible. But people think that the, the Trump indictments make him look terrible. I do think it's ironic that Senator Menendez jumped all over Trump and said, it's quite obvious that our, the president of the United States has been compromised by Vladimir Putin. Okay, really so obvious? Then they complete the investigation. It turns out that's not. I wonder if he ever apologized for that. But that, along with Joe Biden's continuing to struggle on the world stage, Everywhere to not make a speech and not be gaff proof or just keep him from all interviews. And now you want to you want a guy to go win re-election when he's underwater on every major issue when he can't speak and he has no energy to do anything. This is the first time I can remember that he stayed in the White House over the weekend. Incredible. So Senator Menendez, uh, he does not have the support of AOC. Listen to what she said, kind of. Called me by surprise over the weekend when asked about, you know, they're both uh, they're both Hispanic. And is is it true that maybe he, she's been uh, target? He's been targeted because I don't know. He's Cuban. Cut 36. I do believe that it is in the best interests uh, for Senator Menendez to resign in this moment. As you mentioned, consistency matters. It shouldn't matter whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. The details in this indictment are extremely serious. They involve uh, the nature of of not just his, but all of our seats in Congress. And while, you know, as a Latina, there are absolutely ways in which there is systemic bias, but I think what is here in this indictment is quite clear. And um, and I believe it is in the best interest to maintain the integrity of the seat. Wow. So, I, hey, who knows? Maybe a Republican can win the seat. They asked Chris Christie if he'd run for it. He said, absolutely not. But he has had run-ins with Menendez before, had him investigated. Cut 37. I'm glad that the, the Justice Department acted. Um, and they acted on some very horrific facts. Look, um, I did this, Kirsten, as you know, for seven years as the U.S. attorney in New Jersey, the fifth largest office in the country. We did 130 corruption cases and never were defeated. So I know a bit about this. There is no way that any public official has any legal or plausible or ethical explanation for having $500,000 in cash stuffed in jackets and envelopes throughout their home, gold bars that have the fingerprints and DNA of someone who you were attempting to fix the system for. I commend the Southern District of New York for doing the right thing. He says he held on to this money because he has relatives in Cuba. Anyway, he was old-fashioned. He likes to keep singles and stuff in sweatsuits. Here's more from Senator Menendez in his ongoing press conference. My long record on Egypt. One fact is indisputable. Throughout my time in Congress, I have remained steadfast on the side of civil society and human rights defenders in Egypt and everywhere else in the world. If you look at my actions related to Egypt during the period described in this indictment and throughout my whole career, my record is clear and consistent in holding Egypt accountable for its unjust detention of American citizens and others, its human rights abuses, its deepening relationship with Russia, and efforts that have eroded the independence of the nation's judiciary among a myriad of concerns. In 2017, I led a bipartisan letter to then-President Trump 
expressing grave concern with the worsening situation for human rights and civil society in Egypt. That same year, I sent a letter to the Senate Appropriations Subcommittee supporting U.S. assistance to Egypt as long as Egypt adhered to the Camp David Accords and urged the Appropriations Committee to include the requirements for assistance reform strategies outlined in the Egypt Assistance Reform Act of 2013. Yeah, good luck with that. So he does have a history in Egypt, and I, I think he has been on the right side in some issues. But I don't know what this guy's problem is. I mean, the other indictment looked terrible, too, and they found out with a hung jury. It means you, you need one juror. So it's so weird the way Governor Murphy, AOC, every lawmaker except his son, I believe in New Jersey, have said he's done. In terms of the allegations, this is what Damian Williams said. He's the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, cut 35. Special agents with the FBI executed search warrants on the residence and safe deposit box of Senator Menendez. They discovered approximately $500,000 of cash stuffed into envelopes and closets. Some of the cash was stuffed in the senator's jacket pockets. That's not all. Agents also discovered a lot of gold. Right, which means Abby Lowe knows he's going to get paid, unless they took it all. They, Allison, you went to law school. Did they take all of it? The lawyers, all of it? Is that what you're saying? I mean, do they take all of it out? Do they say, okay, you can keep into the trial? Um, I think they usually like hold it somewhere safe so no one's touching it. We'll see if they get it back. But I don't know, know the DNA from the... Uh, businessmen were on the dollars. I feel like that would also be like a I mean, hard thing to prove because yeah. money is so filthy. And you could probably say there's DNA from many, many people, but I haven't really done a deep dive on DNA on dollar bills lately to see how many people that w- would come up with that. And lastly, I just wanted you to hear Jeff Mason from Reuters was on Fox News Sunday on just all the optics of this cut 38. He's facing this again. Uh, the facts were just laid out. F- roughly $500,000 in cash found in his house along with the gold bars. Those facts don't look good, but he is innocent until proven guilty. Politically, it's not great for Democrats in a Senate that is, has a 51 to 49 majority. Although if he were not to run for re-election and somebody else were, New Jersey has not elected a Republican in decades. But even so, it's, it's tricky yeah. for him and it's tricky for his party. Tricky. Uh, it is more than tricky. Here's more from the ongoing press conference that doesn't seem to end. For 30 years, I have withdrawn thousands of dollars in cash from my personal savings account, which I have kept for emergencies and because of the history of my family facing confiscation in Cuba. Now, this may seem old-fashioned, but these were monies drawn from my personal savings account based on the income that I have lawfully derived over those 30 years. I look forward to addressing other issues at trial. Well, he's getting his chance to speak up specifically, but isn't it kind of interesting where he says, I kept a lot of cash there in my own account and I took it out of my own account. Does that make people want to find out how we got that much money in his account? Because I think, you I mean, you're allowed to have outside investments. I get it. Sometimes you're born into money. I understand it. And then you use that money to invest. And if you're a teacher, they go, oh, you're a teacher making $70,000. How would you get this money? Well, there's other ways to get it. But on its surface, he spent his entire career, it seems, in public life. Where do you get four hundred or $500,000 laying around? That would lead to that question. So, and he's still talking. He's not going to take questions. I'm sure he's not going to take questions. He'll be crazy because he can get himself into trouble 
even though he might be more disciplined than the former president, he might get himself into trouble with that. And somehow Abby Lowell knows he's going to get paid, so that probably didn't take all his money. All right. So we'll take a timeout, see if he finishes up and says anything of substance. But it's a full, a full-throated pushback, comeback. Remember, Senator Schumer hasn't told him to resign. Other members have. Senator Dick Durbin did not comment or do it definitive either way, but he has resigned or stepped aside as chairman of foreign relations. That's Senator Menendez. Uh, back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You're a guy that can deal with some pressure. Forget the pressure from Kansas City Chiefs fans. Do you realize how much pressure there was on you today from the Swifties to get Travis Kelsey a touchdown with Taylor in the house today? Yeah, I heard that. I heard she was in the house. Uh, Did you feel it? Did you feel the pressure, Patrick? I I felt a little bit of pressure. Um, and so I knew I had to get it to Trav. And, of course, it's on the route that Travis, he, he, he does his own thing and just makes up a route and I throw it to him. So uh, I think he wanted to get in the end zone just as much as uh, all the Swifties wanted him to. So you're talking about Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback, having some fun with Aaron Andrews. He's uh, sarcastically saying that he was looking for uh, Travis Kelsey because his f- friend, I guess, Taylor Swift, was in the box with his family. But... In July, he put out there that he's looking to date her because he's now single. And next thing you know, they pseudo dating. But everybody's talking about it. People that don't care about football are discussing it. And it is now on our show. So I am part of the problem. You are, but you also love football. So, you know, everyone is talking about it. Now, this is just on page six that reportedly Taylor Swift paid to clear out a restaurant to make way for her and Travis to have dinner together. Clear, what do you do by clearing out a restaurant? Tell everyone to just get your check? So apparently, you know, a friend of a, someone this was on TikTok apparently said, I just got a call from a friend in Missouri, and Taylor is going into a place, and she just paid for everyone in the restaurant so they can leave. They were eating, and the waitress came up to them and said, here's the deal, everything's paid for, but you have to leave, like, right now. <laughs> I wouldn't leave. You would have stayed? Would you? I mean, I would not leave. If they're telling you you have to leave, well, I mean, you can't tell me. Is that what leave. you're going to make a stand for? Like, get arrested because over like yeah, I don't. Dinner yeah, and... yeah, imagine you go in there for an appetizer. All of a sudden, like, where am I going? Excuse me, I have to go now because they want a restaurant to themselves. What do you need a restaurant to yourself for? You don't. Want How, is that fun? Pictures? That's cool to eat at home. I think it's also sadly just her reality that she probably couldn't be able to enjoy anything because people. Wouldn't leave her alone. Well, do what everybody else does. Baseball cap. Baseball cap. And it yet, works for Leo DiCaprio. Both Just of them. as famous. He takes off the helmet, puts on a baseball cap. No oh, he doesn't care. <laughs> I mean, people will leave him alone. Oh, come on. I, 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 I can't believe that. All right. I, we'll, we'll find out if their love life will work out. Then we could all work on our, our own again uh, once we get Taylor Swift settled in. Uh, Mark, you're listening in Norfolk, Virginia. Thanks so much. Good morning, Brian. How are you today? Good. What's on your mind? Well, I heard that preacher um, a few minutes ago, and I have to comment that uh, from the pulpits of the majority of churches in America, TV or in person, they are weak. They don't talk about the sin of America. They talk about everything else to make you feel good. Like what? They talk about 
feel good, how to be popular, how to make money. Um, Churches? Possessions. They, they, don't, they don't talk about the real sin that's killing America. Which is? You know? Uh, well, abortion is the first and foremost. I mean, we're killing our babies left and right. And then drugs, illegal uh, immigration, the way we've just walked away from the God of our forefathers. We've kicked prayer out of, out of school so many years ago, and now we've got this indoctrination into a lifestyle that is bad for America. I hear you. Uh, I do wonder where the pro-life movement was so loud for the longest time. Now I don't hear them at all. It's like the dog that caught the car. I do think the message is pretty strong that Ronald McDaniel talked about that it's been brought up by Governor Nikki Haley, that when it comes to abortion, just say, let's figure out what week the baby feels pain, and then we'll stop it there. Wow. That tell come back from that. I mean, I see Democrats now putting money into buying billboards talking about be proud of your abortion. That has never been the message before. John over in California. Hey, John. Good morning, Brian. Hey, I wanted to give you experience. Thanks for taking my call, by the way. No problem. Um, I have my brother visiting, left-wing liberal, come from Florida, where a lot of those uh, policies of progressives are blunted. I t- picked him up at the airport, drove by a gas station, $6 a gallon. Showed him wow. my electric bill, $700 last month for my electric. Then I showed, Then I told he's watching Fox News, obviously, why he's here. Now he's checking out the border problems. He watches other networks that don't show these things, and he's aghast. He cannot believe his eyes, and uh, it's just showing what, what's going on. You know, John, you know, a lot of it was uh, in terms of the border, those drones really changed the game because you yes. could see for miles people coming up. You see an yep. overview instead of like, well, what about that piece of fence? You look over and you go, look at the gaps. You know, look at them yep. pouring in. Look at them coming. And and the, you know what I noticed over the weekend? Almost every Sunday show did something on this and they replayed it on their nightly nightly news. But they mm-hmm. ended it with. Until Congress does Im- comprehensive immigration reform, this will be the problem. Excuse me? Congress to immigration? Excuse me. Get the border. The border has nothing to do with comprehensive immigration reform. You go change the laws to say I'm pressuring all the Central and South American countries. No more traipsing through. These cartels, if they come across again, they're going to be arrested. And we're going to start putting international troops into, into your country of Mexico. We're going to start apprehending these cartels. And if, if shootouts happen, shootouts happen. You're going to see them really pull back. Do you know that the president of Mexico is asking Joe Biden for a meeting in November? We should be pushing for a a meeting in September. He shouldn't have to call us. They're the problem. They don't like that their country's been overrun, but I don't see 20,000 Marines on their border like they had there. So that's the issue. And now they want to say, well, because they don't do Joe Biden's immigration reform, it's not their problem. Listen to this Democratic mayor, cut 10. I'll be honest with you. I believe 100 percent he does bear some responsibility uh, for this crisis. I haven't heard from anybody in the administration. Uh, the president hasn't put out the state, a statement. The vice president, I haven't heard from anybody. It's incredible. Then you have uh, Mayor Oscar Lesser of El Paso. Same thing. Democrat. I had him on. And so Joe Biden did a great job, came and saw the problem. He really digested it. He says, we are overwhelmed. We need help. We feel like we are alone. 
That is Democratic Mayor Oscar Leeser. Now, what's the difference between that and Mayor Adams and the, and the mayor of Chicago and the mayor of, excuse me, the governor of Massachusetts saying the same exact thing? There is no difference. Hey, by the way, on a separate note, uh, Teddy and Booker T is coming out in November, but in November 9th, that'll be on the 7th. On the 9th, they'll be in Red Bank, New Jersey, where Senator Menendez was once a senator, although he still claims to be. Uh, then in Ponderidra on the 10th. And don't forget Huntsville, Montgomery, Alabama, and Pittsburgh. BrianKillMe.com for all tickets. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.